Good morning. How are you, Calvary? It's good to have you here. My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's so nice to see our services starting to fill up and and see so many people coming. We want to welcome our one weekend students here. They're here in the front. Guys, good to have you here. I'm wearing the t-shirt and I know it looks like it's blank, but it's not. It says one weekend on the back. Uh, Just in case you're wondering why Chad is very casual in the pulpit today. Um, There's so much going on in our world today. And uh, I know that you've probably watched it. I'm a missions pastor, so I'm always reading what's going on around the world. I I love global news. uh, And and the last week has been obviously very difficult to watch. Um, If you're like me and you've been watching, I've been glued to the news over the last three days, watching the the developments in Ukraine. Then you know that the the world is is really on pins and needles, kind of looking over the edge into a, a conflict like we haven't seen in a very long time. And uh, so this morning, before we get into our sermon, I just want to encourage you in a couple ways. One is be praying. Be praying because there's believers in Ukraine and there's believers in Russia. And both sides are, are basically a part of the similar church. They're both Russian Orthodox or uh, Ukrainian Orthodox. They're very similar in, in response. And both sides are, are feeling and wondering how this is going to resolve. And both sides are suffering. Um, If you've watched the president of Ukraine the last few days, I've been very surprised by both the resolve and the commitment and the the leadership coming out of the man. Um, But there are many people in Ukraine just like him. And so before we go any further, uh, I'd like to stop and pray. We have people in our church who have friends in Ukraine. We have some people in our church who were born in Ukraine. We have missionaries through the IMB that have both uh, served and work and care in Ukraine and in Russia. And all of them right now don't know Uh, what's going to happen in the coming days. And so let's just start by praying that God would have his will. Father, we come before you and we know that you are the king. God, you are the living God and you are above all things. God, nothing happens that you are not aware of and that you're not prepared for. We pray, God, that you would move in the hearts of your people today. God, that we would stand against evil in all forms. That, God, we would stand for righteousness and justice in all forms. We pray, God, that you would give courage to those who are suffering and courage to those who are afraid, courage to the believers who don't know what tomorrow will look like, and courage, Father, that they would know that you have not forsaken them. We pray for the country of Ukraine, that, God, you would give uh, the leaders in that country the understanding and the knowledge to know how to respond in days like this. We pray for the leaders of Russia, God, that they would have insight to know when to stop and when to pull back and God, that they would realize right away that this is not helping them. We pray for world leaders, God, that you would give them wisdom and discernment on how to move forward in dark days like these. And God, we pray that you would open our hearts, that we would respond as your spirit leads us, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Over the last month, as that crisis has escalated and become more and more and more, it's been a hard thing for the whole world to watch. But in that same time, my family has been going through some fairly intense difficulty as well. Many of you may not know, but about uh, six weeks ago, uh, my daughters were both in a vehicle accident and and ended up with my youngest daughter having a, a broken femur. And uh, so six weeks ago today, she had emergency surgery uh, at the Children's Hospital in Edinburgh, and it set us in place to have a very, very difficult month and a half. Uh, If you've ever had a child that's suffering, it's not just a wounded child, it's a wounded home. And uh, everything about the home is, is thrown into disruption and discord. And, and uh, you don't sleep at night and you argue about things that you shouldn't argue about because everyone's tired and frustrated and hurting. 
Uh, there's all the different pieces of an accident, whose fault, all those things that all come into, into play and in, in how you decide and how you feel from one day to the next. And I got to tell you, as we start talking this morning, our, our sermon is called the Communities of Faith. We're talking about the why of grow groups. We're going to talk about what it means to be in a community where you're known and where others know you. And I have to tell you that over the last six weeks, what we discovered was our community was a lot larger than we thought it was. <clears throat> and it meant a lot more to us than we thought it did. We moved to the valley <clears throat> almost 10 years ago. When we came here, we came by ourselves. It was just our family and our, our one child and our second child, Allie, was born just after that. But as we've been here over this last nine years, we, we've, we've developed friends that are like family. But it doesn't become really clear until you go through crisis just how close they are. Do you know that? Like, you might feel like things are close, you might feel good about your friends, but when something like that happens, all of a sudden, the people that are pouring into your life, helping you in ways that you didn't ask for, are surprising and overwhelming. My daughter has so many stuffed animals right now. She had a lot before, but now she has a whole lot. There were people that came by with meals and people that came by with baskets of gifts. I was like, man, this is like second Christmas for our girls because people are showing up to just love them in meaningful ways. People came by and said, hey, we just want to help out any way that we can. Can we sit with her for a few hours and you guys can go do some things you need to do? And over and over and over again, the outpouring of the community of faith around us showed us just how great God is. There have been moments in the last month where we wondered what was going to happen next, and we were so sad and frustrated and annoyed. When your daughter asks you questions like, why did God let this happen? It's a hard question to answer, and you don't have all the answers, but when you're exhausted and frustrated on top of it, it really makes it difficult. My point is simply this. If you're not in a faith community where you're known, where people know you, then you're ripe to fail. I want to start with... with uh, uh, um, reading these verses out of John chapter 15. <clears throat> they're, they're very famous verses, the vine verses. <clears throat> so turn with me to John chapter 15, starting in verse one. It says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You've all heard these verses before, but listen to this one, verse, verse five. This is, the, this is I think, the, the famous one here. It says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now I wanna highlight a couple letters because they're important. Almost always we highlight a couple of words, but in this, in, this, in this particular instance, the letters are the big deal. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Notice that ES, branches, because one of the things that, that happens in our modern day, especially Western individual-based world, is we interpret Jesus' commands as if they're for us as individuals. But that would be different. If he said to Eli, I am the vine, but Eli, you are the branch. If you remain in me, you'll be much fruit apart from me, you do nothing. That's very different than saying you, the church, are the branches. Do you understand what I'm saying? The difference between assigning a task to a community of faith rather than assigning the task to an individual person of faith is very big. It's a very big difference. For instance, when we talk about the Great Commission, which we talk about a lot, I love that verse. I preach on it as often as they give me opportunity to. And it says, go make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them, making disciples of them, teaching them, all those things that are there. 
But the command is not given to Peter. The command to go make disciples was given to all of his disciples. In, in, in Acts, it says there may be 120 people gathered there. You realize that the, the, the commands of Christ are always given in the context of community. And who is Jesus' community? Who is it that he's talking to here when he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches? It's his disciples, right? It's the people who are closest to him. It's the people that he called to be with him. It's people that were in relationship with him before they necessarily believed in him. Did you know that? They knew Jesus and walked with Jesus before he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? There's an idea that there can be in community with Christ and still not know who he is. And when they do, how much easier is it for them to follow him like he's called them? They were following Christ before they necessarily believed in him. That's an important thing as we move forward in this, in this sermon today. Jesus says that we as the branches have to stay connected to him. We together have to stay connected to him because as we stay together, in Texan it's y'all, right? As y'all stay connected to the, to the branches, you will bear much fruit. Y'all will bear much fruit. We have to stay connected to him. We, as a, as a body of believers, as a community of faith, are created to be in community. We are not created to be individuals. We're not supposed to stand alone on the battleground and be all by ourselves fighting the fight of faith. It's done with those around us. Jesus is, is by far the best example of this. He always has his, his, his community with him. And, and even inside the disciples, there's times when he's, he's separate with a smaller group, his, his inner circle, some people call him. It's, it's Peter, James, and John that he gathers with on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's Peter, James, and John that are with him at, at, at the, when he's praying in Gethsemane. There's always a community around him and that community helps him. It, he draws strength from that community and every one of us need to do the same thing. You know, a second thing, if, if uh, we were created for community, then I want to say multiplication is a result of community. That's the second point. By the way, I was supposed to say this earlier. There are sermon notes. If you want to take notes, they're here. I think we got them out late. So if you need one, put your hand up and maybe the ushers can, can get some of those to you. Um, the second one there is that multiplication is a result of community. Jesus said, if you remember this, he says to, to his disciples that um, the world will know them by the way that they love one another. Do you know that? If, if we're going to see the kingdom advance among the lost, they have to see a body of Christ that cares and loves for each other. The, he continues here um, in, uh, in, in John, and he says that my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I want to tell you a story. It's one of my favorite stories from, from history. It's a story about a guy named St. Patrick. You guys have heard of St. Patrick? In a few weeks, it'll be March, and we're going to have St. Patty's Day, and there'll be all kinds of fun around Irish uh, um, um, culture and fun. You have everything's green, right? You pinch people if they don't wear green, or, or you, uh, people talk about you know, four-leaf clovers and, and fun things like leprechauns and gold at the end of, of rainbows and all that kind of fun stuff, lucky charms. Um, you got all kinds of, of, of things going on there, but the story of St. Patrick is a really incredible story. It's one you may not have heard. In, in 405 AD, we're going way back a long time, he was born into a wealthy family. Uh, his dad was a magistrate for the church, and so they had power, they had influence, they had resources, and very likely Patrick would have just rolled on into his dad's job. His grandfather was a priest within the British Roman church. You think about that, by 405, the church of Rome had already extended itself to Britain. And, uh, and so when, when in 405, Patrick was 16 years old when he was taken by Irish raiders and sold into slavery in Ireland. 
For six years, he was a slave. And he says during those six years is when he found faith in Christ. He'd grown up within a Christian context. He'd grown up within a religious home. His dad worked for the church. And still, he said he didn't find a relationship with Christ until he was a slave. As a slave, doing things that he was commanded to do and, and working basically as a shepherd underneath uh, an Irish leader, he, he found his faith and he began devoting himself to Christ all the time. He was praying in the morning and praying in the evening. And one day during his, his, uh, his prayers, he felt like God gave him a vision of a ship that would take him back home if he could escape to the coast. Well, it was 200 miles to the coast. And it took him a few weeks to make the journey, the escape from inland Ireland to the coast to get on the ship, and he got back home. Now, before we go any further, how would you feel if you'd been kidnapped and sold into slavery and then you escaped? And you finally got back home, and you're sleeping in your own bed, and you're with your own family. How do you feel at that moment? I don't know. You probably feel... Like God cares about you. You might feel like God did something special in your life. You might feel um, relaxed. Maybe you've got to go through some trauma of the whole event and think through the whole thing. But in the end, you feel like you're in a good place, right? Well, Patrick started having dreams of the Irish saying, we, we need you here. They're begging him to come back in his dreams. And he felt like God was telling him that he needed to go back to Ireland to be a missionary, to share the gospel with the pagan Irish people. When he was there, he talked about how the Druids and the witchcraft that was all over, the pagan society that he lived in, and he felt like there was a burden inside of him for the people that lived in Ireland. So he got ordained as a, as a priest, and he went back to Ireland as a missionary. Like, again, I don't know about you, but that'd be kind of terrifying. So he went back, and, and in that there's incredible things. Over the, over the life of Patrick, he planted over 700 churches. And the churches in, in Patrick's time were, were much more like communities of faith. They, they, they didn't look like churches like we did. They didn't go there and build buildings. What they did is they'd find a community that didn't have any Christians in it, and they would build a small community outside that community, and it would have circles. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen Celtic crosses, but everything about Celtic faith uh, was, was built around this idea that there's no straight lines, there's no corners, it's circular, and it's inclusive. And, and the whole idea is that everybody is welcomed. And so they would build these circular communities with wooden fences and little thatched huts. And then they would go into the community and say, hey, if you want to learn more about Jesus or you want to learn more about anything, because they had people with them that could teach about what was happening in the world outside of Ireland. They, they did all this. So they would come into the community and they'd start learning and they would, be, they would join the community far before they would believe in Christ. Listen to this. They would belong before they would believe. Listen, for Almost uh, all, of our, all of human history, the world was, was centered around the idea that the community was more important than the individual. Do you know that? In almost every culture through the history of the world, the community was more important than the individual. Over the last couple hundred years, as America has gained uh, a lot of power and insight and, and the West has developed what it is, the individual has taken the, pri pri the, primary, the primary place in our culture, in our world. But it hasn't always been that way. The Bible writers were writing to a culture that was community-based. They cared more about the community than the individual. What's that mean? It means that no one person is more important than the community altogether. And so when the community would make a decision like Christianity, the whole community would do it together. It wasn't just grabbing one individual to come out. It would be, hey, come out and learn. And they'd go back to their community and tell people. And then eventually the whole community. So listen, here's a crazy thing. I'm talking fast now. I'm getting excited. Here's the crazy thing. The communities in Ireland, this is what happened. They, they so accepted the communities, that, that, the communities of faith that Patrick was planting that the whole community eventually moved out 
and around the communities that Patrick planted. Almost all the communities in Ireland today were planted and formed around a Celtic church. 700 in the lifetime of, of, of Patrick, he baptized over 100,000, 100,000 Irish people in his, in his years. Listen, within 400 years of Patrick's life, the Celtic faith that he planted had moved across all of Northern Europe. By the time it was about 800, 900 AD, there was over 6,000 Catholic, uh, Catholic, Celtic churches across Northern Europe. 6,000. There's, a, there's a, a book called How the Irish Saved Civilization. It's a different book than the one I couldn't remember earlier. Um, that, that book talks about how the Irish uh, monasteries were some of the only places where the books were books and learning had been left by the Vikings. When the Vikings started burning and destroying all of Europe, many of those very rural places were, so, so, so much of the learning we have today was, was stored inside those places of learning by the Celts. And it's a whole nother conversation we could talk about. But here's the thing, I just want you to see, the communities were, were, were so welcoming that people belonged before they believed. So when I talk about this idea that multiplication is a result of, of community, it's because as we love each other and care for each other, it's attractive to the world around us. They want to be a part of it. They want to see and be loved and cared for. When, you, when, when we see Jesus say, this is my command that you love one another, we're going to see it in just a minute. When we read verses like that, think about how love is defined in 1 Corinthians. Do you guys remember those verses? Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, does not keep any record of wrongs. Remember all those lists? We, we read them at every wedding in history, right? What is love? That's a different song. But anyway, the, my mind is going weird right now. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it keeps no record of wrong. It says, love never fails. That's how it ends. Who doesn't want that? Do you know anybody in the world that doesn't want to be loved like that? You can put whatever title you want on them. You can put any kind of political name. You can put any kind of religious name. Put anything you want on that and tell me someone that doesn't want to be loved that way. It's something that all humans crave. It's something we're all desperate for. It's something that we, we really don't want to live without and yet we struggle through every day looking for it. And the church is the place where people are supposed to find that kind of community and love and acceptance and welcome and belonging. And yet so often we get so focused on the belief portion that people aren't allowed to belong until they believe. Do you get that? Our modern day evangelical world is so focused on evangelism that we tell people, unless you belong, believe, you cannot belong. We, we, we don't, we're not very good at welcoming everybody in so that they belong to the community of faith, get access to Christ so that when they believe, it's an automatic and easy thing. This is a, when, when they ask, uh, if you were to ask Celtic believers from St. Patrick's era, when they came to faith, they would look at you really oddly because there was no moment it was when they moved into the community. They became a part of the community of faith. There was not a decision because the decision was part of a, a whole movement in their life towards Christ. Today, we define Christianity with a decision and it prevents some people from finding faith. We need to be the people that belong. But to be people that belong and would be people that are inviting others to belong with us, we have to make space in our life. We have to look for opportunities to build a community of faith. And so I want to tell you my third point here is that all believers need to belong to a faith community. 
We all have community. I think, I think that's something we all have to stress. Everyone has community, whether it's healthy community or whether it's good community, whether it drives you towards Christ or apart from Christ. All those things are good questions, but we all live in some level of community. If we're completely isolated, we're in really bad shape. But in your community, the one that takes up your life right now, is it driving you towards Christ or apart from Christ? That's a really good question we, we each need to ask ourselves. The communities to which we belong right now, are they faith communities or are they something else? The Bible calls us to be in community with other believers. In Calvary, we call those grow groups. We gather like this every Sunday, and this is supposed to be a celebration. It's supposed to be encouraging. It's supposed to help you go, yeah, let's do this together. We love, there's a lot of things we can give and we can do great missions and we can send people out. Those are all great things. But what happens when you're not here? Because here's the reality. Many of you today didn't know that my daughter's leg was broken. Why? Is it because it wasn't important to me? No, it's been very important to me. Has it been important to our staff? It's been very important to our staff. But I didn't want to put out a notice and have a bunch of people asking me big questions, especially when our family was going through this crisis. We needed to keep the people that needed to know are the ones that needed to know. And so what I say to that is that our community is large. We have a lot of people here, but even within that, there's a lot of you that didn't know because our community is not small. It's not small enough. If you, go, if you come to church like this, I have no idea what's happening in your life. Some of you are in my class and I see you every Sunday. Some of you are, are in groups that I see regularly. And so some of you are close to us. But many of you I only see in passing on a Sunday like this. And I'm not saying that you should be closer to me. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you have to be involved in a group where you are known, where people can know you. And if your daughter breaks their leg, someone can say, wow, how can we help? We were overwhelmed with the help that we had. Just so you know, I'm not saying we didn't get enough. We had plenty of people helping us. Any more would have been even, would have been a lot. It would have been overwhelming. It's too much. And so what I want you to hear is that every single one of us, every single person that comes to Calvary, we expect and hope and pray that every one of you will be involved in a smaller community of faith at Calvary. Now we have a number of those. We have some that meet on campus on Sunday mornings, like Fidelis or Truth Seekers or The Pearl. There's so many others. Uh, we, we also have some that meet in homes throughout the week, different times, different nights. We have some that meet in Starbucks. David Love has a great group in Starbucks that I think meets regularly. I don't know how often, maybe three times a week. No, I'm kidding. I don't know how many times he's there. But uh, they, they meet all the time. So there's a couple of things. As we come to the end of, our, of my message, I, I want to read to you the latter part of John 15. It says this in verse 12. It says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay one's life down for one's friend, for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that whatever you do, whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So today we've already talked about Jesus had a community around him constantly. He called his disciples to create communities around themselves We've talked about many times over the last couple of years how the churches of, of Jerusalem or the churches of Ephesus, the churches of, of Galatia or the churches of Rome were a bunch of small churches gathered together in little places that met every now and then in big groups. 
Like the church of, of the New Testament looks a lot more like what happens in a home in our grow groups than this. Do you get that? This is an expression of our worship. It's a great place for us to gather in big groups, but our, our relationships, discipleships, and being known and knowing others and belonging, it happens in somewhere other than this place. It happens in small spaces. And so today I want to encourage you in a couple of ways. One, if you're not a part of a group, join one. Be a part of one. Our young, our, our young adults, our youth that are here today, they have C groups every week. They meet in small groups on Wednesday night. It's a part of their time. So instead of spending an hour listening to Eli talk, they spend like 15 minutes listening to Eli talk so they can spend 20 minutes in a group together. That's one way we could do it, Julio. We just, just shrink this whole thing down, give you guys small group time. No, I'm kidding. I may not. <clears throat> Find a small group to be a part of. If you don't know, or if for some reason we can't connect you to one, it never works, then we can help you start one. We need a lot more. Pre-pandemic, we had about 19 adult groups meeting throughout Calvary. Since the pandemic, a lot have struggled to kind of regain that, that energy and regain uh, the, the ability to start. And so we're trying to start new ones. I think right now we have about seven in English and we, we need a bunch more. So we need group leaders. We need people that are willing to, to open their home to uh, believers from our community and to invite non-believers into that community. Give them a place to belong so that maybe they'll believe. You know, this isn't an odd thing for Baptists. Baptists have a history of, of having really powerful small groups in, in, uh, before kind of our modern era, era, maybe up until the 90s. The, the, the small group time was our Sunday school classes. And, and they would invite people to join the Sunday school class. And they might be a part of the Sunday school class for years and then become believers and get baptized. It was, it was an entry level way to engage lost people in the life of the church. And we've had ABFs and life groups and different types of groups, uh, home fellowships. We've done lots of different things at Calvary, but today we call them grow groups. And they're so important for each of you, for each of us, and for the loss that we say we care about. Even today, we have groups inside of our church that are so welcoming. Some of our young adults are part of a ministry at the campus called the BSM, Baptist Student Ministry. And one of the things they do is they, they get a list of international students that are coming from overseas that are going to be going to school here. And they try to engage with those international students as they get um, um, settled into the campus life. Sometimes those people arrive here not knowing anyone. And they have a name and a person getting off the plane. And a BSM student might just meet them there as they get off the plane, put them in the car and drive them and try to help them get to where they need to go. Uh, we had one girl early this year that didn't have an apartment. She stayed with one of our young, young adults for a couple of days uh, until she could get everything settled. Uh, but, but what's really great is in the middle of this, we have people coming from many different backgrounds. Sometimes it's a Muslim background or Hindu background or Buddhist backgrounds. And they arrive here and they get embedded in these communities. They start being welcomed by the believers. And guess what happens? It's not uncommon that a few months into it, they find Christ. And some of them have to find Christ in a way that is very difficult for them because when they go back home, it changes the way they relate to their families. We've had baptisms in the last several weeks of people who are just like that, who've come from difficult uh, places that would be really hard for us to go, and yet God brought them here, they get involved in community, and they find faith in Christ. I hope that this is really obvious. I feel like I've, I've kind of nailed this in a couple different ways. But if you're not involved in a small group, the likelihood that you're going to succeed is very low. The people that leave Calvary, which we don't like, no, we do like them, we just don't like that they leave. But when they leave, they almost always complain that they felt uncared for. They felt unlistened to. I didn't go to church and you guys didn't even notice. 
I was going through this and no one even called me. And we feel so bad. Anytime someone says that to our staff, we feel so terrible. By the time they say that to us, by the way, it's too late. They're not like, hey, can we come visit you this week and fix it all? Like they're not ready to fix it. They're probably already going somewhere else. But the reason is because they expect that they can come to a big gathering like this and be fully known and be known. And it just, it can't happen. So Calvary, the way that we've got this designed is that if you're a part of a small group and you're going through crisis, that your small group leader, your grow group leader will care for you and he'll pray for you and the, and the group that's around you will pray for you and care for you. And then, you know what, if it goes beyond the needs of the community, they're going to reach out to, to one of us and we're going to say, hey, how can we help? What can we do? What services do you need? What, what resources do you need? And we'll come around that group and do our best to meet the needs of the group as they care for their member. That's the way this is designed because if you come here, we can't possibly stay long enough to talk to everybody and know all the things that are going on in your life. We wish we could. We can't. So get involved in a group. So three things as we close. As we close. <clears throat> First thing, what community do you belong to? Who is it that knows you, where you're known? Who is it that you call when problems are happening? If you're not a part of a group here at Calvary, please talk to one of us. We want to get you connected. So the second thing is, is join a group. If you've got a group, great. If you're not, join one. Be a part of one. Make time in your busy life to be known, for people to know you and care for you and love you, and you can care for them and love them as well. If you can't find a group that fits your schedule, we'll start one. <laughs> or you'll start one. We'll help you start one. That's best. We need group leaders, and you don't have to have any particular training. You don't have to be, have this all figured out. You don't need a seminary degree. We just need people who are willing to love others. And that's it. That's it. That's the sermon today. How are you engaged in small groups? How are you going to engage your life and be known by others? How are you going to belong and invite others to find belonging as they search for Jesus? As we close, we've been singing a song all week, all month long. It's called uh, Is He Worthy? It's a beautiful song that talks about just the, the passion of God for his people and the passion of God's people for their God. And uh, it's been a, a really great song for several years and it's kind of responsive. You sing a part and then the congregation sings back. And uh, as we sing this song, Is He Worthy? I just ask that you guys would consider, is he worth that? Is he worth surrendering your heart and life? We already... We talk about that all the time. If you haven't found Jesus, you should turn to him. Is he worth surrendering more time so that you can be invested in a small community of faith? If you haven't, you absolutely should. It's, it's imperative for the believer. And would you be willing to lead if God were to call you? Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for all that you're doing. God, we thank you for the ways you provide for us. God, I thank you for the way that the community has provided for my family over this last six weeks. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts and lives, God, that we would be more your people every day. That, God, we would love each other, that the world would see that love and be compelled to follow you. We pray, God, that we would be a place where people could come and find belonging, find a place to be where they're welcomed and cared for and loved. That, God, that we can see that their problems are not theirs alone. We share them, but ultimately, God, you share them. We bear one another's burdens and God, the lost are called to faith. We pray God that you'd be honored in our service, be honored in our lives, be honored in our groups. We love you in Jesus' name.